I'm going to reframe that. Okay. Um, they are what I believe in, which is spirit forward. Okay. So to me, when I order a cocktail, for example, the old fashioned, I realize the accoutrements are the bitters, the zest of the citrus oil, whether you use lemon or orange peel. You know, some people will garnish with a Luxardo cherry, for example. But they're spirit forward. So if I take a sip of an old fashioned, I don't want to be drinking bitters. They're accoutrements, but they are not the focus of the cocktail. The focus of the cocktail is the spirit, spirit forward. And so I will just kind of reframe what you said, not huge, but they were spirit forward. So they were almost like doubles. Sure. <laughs> From the studio of Rule 29, I'm your host, Justin Ahrens, and this is Design Of. A storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. And for episode 31, you get to hear from the unforgettable and authentic Brit, who is the chief whiskey officer of Bardstown, Kentucky's very own Willet Distillery. And while I'm editing this episode, I am going to be making an old-fashioned that is very spirit-forward. So I know it will be Brit approved. And of course, let's add my Willet Rye here. And while I am, uh, you know, mixing this drink up and finishing it, let me get you an interview. Uh, This took place in Bardstown, just a few miles from the distillery. That is some great stuff. There's two ways that I start every day and I set the tone of the day. And one is with my socks. And the other one is with a book of, of quotes. What's, what's your... She will go get the book of quotes. What's a, is it a book of quotes you've written or a book of no. quotes that you've... It's I embody. Okay. But no, I've not written them. Okay. Um, they've been written literally for my life. Like I'll open the page and I'm like, oh fuck, we're going to have this kind of day or like... Oh, yeah, I'm going to have a martini with a pipe blue cheese olives day. Just never know what I'm going to get. Right. So it's, do you just open the book randomly or is it mm-hmm. like quote of the day? No, I open the book randomly. Okay, and fate decides. I think it's probably already been decided. Yeah. I think I'm just getting validation about what can I expect and prepare for today is what I think it is. I like it. But the socks, 100%, I, I, they, I choose my day with my socks. Okay. So, for example, I will let you open a page. Okay. And everybody can have their own manner and method. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You just... Okay. You do you. So, I have a book. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read a quote. However you want to do it. Okay. So, my quote is, You seriously do not want to mess with me today. I was out of Weight Watchers points by breakfast. (laughs) Solid. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got to read both sides. Oh, my bad. I can totally control myself. I just totally choose not to. Okay, so you need to do one for this podcast. Okay. Let's see what happens. I have literally gotten the same page, I think, going on three days in a row now. Oh, I like this one. (laughs) You may not think I did much today, but I think pretending that I knew who you were at the grocery store was quite the accomplishment. My face hurts from pretending to like you. (laughs) Welcome to my life. 
I yeah. love it. So where are those little notes in there from? Um, well, the person that gave me this book is Linnell, who you may or may not know, Linnell Smothers. Ironically, I don't even see her note in this book. Um, but she gave, she gave this to me with a set of bath salts because I am like famous for what I call my mermaid baths where I need to take like a salt bath at least once a week. Like I just need to do it. And um, there's always, there's not, there's not too many women that have been in our industry. And we have, we have been together for a very long time with one another. And we've gone through a lot of different things where we always seem to circle back around to each other. There's little things in here um, where just notes get left around for me and they just correspond to something I've drawn that I put in there. Like I think my favorite, my two favorite pages in here are this one, holy shit we have it all. And I keep a, this tattoo surrender right here. And the other one that I love that's my favorite when I know like I'm gonna just have a great day is, and this is probably the hardest page. To, these are the two hardest pages to draw. This one is before the book even starts. But this one says, I'm so damn happy. It's like discovering blue cheese olives all over again. It's a good day. Yeah, it's a good day when I get that page, for sure. What is your earliest like bourbon memory or something to do with what you do now? Um, I think my earliest vivid bourbon memory is probably um, Thanksgiving time and sitting on the kitchen counter in my uh, grandparents' house making the, um, the icing for bourbon yeast rolls. And what that is, is basically a slurry of bourbon and powdered sugar. And you Sounds would drizzle, amazing. yeah, and you drizzle those on the yeast rolls as soon as they come out of the oven, so they make this glaze on them. Mm. And I, my job um, then was to make that icing, and so I would always make the first bowl, and I would eat the whole bowl, and then I would make the second bowl for the rolls, and like that's probably my most vivid memory. Very, very young of doing that. So how was like bourbon in your, you know, in your youth? How was that? How did that play out? Like how did, how did you experience that? Like obviously you, you, it was present, you know, at Thanksgiving time, but um, for as long as you've been around, has your family been in the business? It has, not only has our family been in the business way before I was around, it's always been woven into our family's lives. Some of you might be asking, what is bourbon? And bourbon is a whiskey, and it can be called a bourbon if it meets all the following criteria. So it's made in the U United States. It is made from 100% fermented grain with a mash bill or a recipe of at least 51% corn. Now, if it's a rye whiskey, it needs to be 51% of rye instead of corn. It's distilled at no more than 160 proof, it's aged in a new charred oak container, and that oak is typically white American oak. It's placed in the barrel at no more than 125 proof. It doesn't have to be a barrel, but most often it is a barrel. And it's bottled at no less than 80 proof. If all of those things are present, it could be considered a bourbon. Now, as there are different classifications of whiskey, there are also different variations of bourbon. 
And while some of these distinctions can be in the distilling or finishing processes, for the most part, these can be understood by differing mash bills or differing recipes. And what's really cool about Willet is they are one of the most unique bourbons on the market. And it was just so outstanding to get a chance to uh, meet them and see their process. Our, our family in Kentucky has been in the distilling business since the Civil War era. Um, and then we're currently in the fifth generation. We are celebrating about 82 years of distillation now. And our grandfather started construction in the spring of 1936. And where our property is today, original property, was our great-grandfather's hog and cattle farm. And um, actually sits at the highest point in Nelson County. And we're just very fortunate to have that property because there's an abundance of spring-fed lakes throughout. And water, of course, is the nucleus to our distillation. It just is. And um, But as far as outside of of our business, I mean, it's just there in, in ways that when it's something that's so a part of you, you, you're just not even aware that it's there. It's just, again, interwoven into our lives. So, you know, my whole life when somebody would say, what does your dad do? I didn't know what my dad did. I would just say he's at the distillery. Like, I had no idea what the hell he was doing out there. I really did not. And, you know, to this day, you know, one of the things that I do love most about bourbon is how it engages all of our senses. But most importantly, and the most powerful sense to me is that of the sense of smell. Because there is nothing to me that will trigger a memory like a smell. And it's something that is only unique to you, that, that a memory is assigned to only you because of that certain aroma. And, you know, to this day, when I walk in the bottling house and I open the door at the base of those steps to walk up to the office, that is the smell of my youth. Like, that is the smell I think of my childhood. If we would go out after school to see my dad at work, like, that is the smell that I smell. And, you know, people walk in and they smell different things. I don't even know that it's bourbon that I smell. I smell the oil on the bottling machine. Like, I smell so many different things at once. But what it does for me is that's just part of my childhood, you know. And what does that do? Like, when you, um, that's a great example. I love when you... Uh will hear something or see something or smell something and it'll take you back to a moment. When you think about that time when you were opening the door at the bottom of the stairs, is that a good memory, happy memory? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, you know, I almost wouldn't even assign an emotion to it. Mm. It was just kind of like, I, I, there's not an emotion I would assign to it. Mm. It's, just, it's just a memory that I have of, because you know, we were a very unusual family my dad was running that place pretty much on his own. Um, well, I should say he was running that place on his own. Of course, he had employees that were running the bottling line. But outside of that, he really didn't have any assistance whatsoever until um, really primarily until my brother came on board and then I came on board a year later. And so he typically would get home from work nine o'clock at night. Uh, maybe eight o'clock at night. That's when we would eat dinner. Hmm. I mean, most kids are going to bed. Our dad's getting home. We're eating dinner at eight or nine o'clock at night when people are, you know, kids are going to bed. And, um, but it's, and these are way before cell phone days. Sure. These are days when my mom always said that my dad must have had 
um, he must have had like a tracking device on her. And it was like, no, it's just very predictable where you are, mom. Because we would either be at my Aunt Alice's, which is my grandparents' house, or um, uh, I guess probably, no, that's probably where we always were, actually. And my dad was always at work. So it's like, if you ever wanted to find us, you would go to my grandparents or, you know. Um, and if we ever wanted to find him, we needed to go to work. So really hasn't changed much today, except for <laughs> we're there, <laughs> Right. really. So your, your family's been in this area for a long time. Yes. So uh, let's kind of go back to the years, like during Prohibition, when things were disrupted and you talked about that your family property was a farm. Was it an operating farm then? Yes, it okay. was a hog and cattle farm. And our grandfather and his father, they were very instrumental in different distilleries in the area. For example, Burnham Distillery. Um, my great-grandfather used to walk every single day to, to work to that distillery. And, you know, they would always ask him if, they, if he ever wanted to stay the night. They would put him up. Mm. And he never did because he always wanted to go home to his wife and his family, and that was very important to him. And it's just, if you think about that these days, people can't wait long enough to get on a sub, a subway to, to get from A to B. They can't wait long enough for you to respond to a text. I mean, it's just like, it's immediate, it's now, it's now, it's now. Mm -hmm. And you know, those days, you got to work on foot. You didn't get a sick day, you didn't get a vacation day. Like you went to work on foot, you went to work every single day. And you went to work as young as 15 years old. You know, that's what they did. And Barton, 1792, um, that was originally um, Frankie, Willett, Moore, and Mattingly. And so our family was very instrumental in the origins of that distillery. Now, I don't know if it was brilliant or complete idiocy that three years off the hill of Prohibition, you're constructing a new distillery, but, you know, they obviously made the right decision. And I, I love that they, again, were so instrumental in building or operating um, all of these different distilleries, but then they went out on their own. Mm. And I love that they did that. Now, how did your family in this area, how did they kind of make ends meet during that time? It had to be difficult because it feels like here, even today in Bardstown, that the distilling business really kind of propels everything. So if that yeah, was, and it really does. But you know, and my brother and I were having a conversation about this earlier today, which is really interesting, because someone we had a meeting with this morning was talking about how it's so refreshing and lovely to come into a small town, and it's one that's thriving and not completely boarded up. Hmm. And you know, they were asking, "Well, how is that?" To which my brother's reply was exactly the question you just asked: like, well, all these distilleries in town are. A big part of the reason why the, the downtown is still thriving and volatile and there's there's progression and new businesses coming online but the reality is like so many things a lot of people in this town haven't even been to some of the distilleries in this town a lot of people in the state haven't have never heard of our distillery you know um, a lot of people driving down Loretta Road well I didn't know you guys were here how long y'all been are y'all new business no we've been here since 1936 you know, it's just, um, that's the way that it is today. But for the longest time, people weren't coming here for distilleries. They were coming here for the Stephen Foster musical. They were coming here to visit my Kentucky home. But it's a different visitor, and it's a different traveler, and it's a different explorer these days than it was, you know, back then in the 80s, for example. And bourbon was not 
bourbon was not cool and it was not trendy and you could not give it away in the 80s and that's when our father came into this particular aspect of the business like you literally could not give bourbon away so then what propelled him to kind of keep it going well i will say to take it a step backwards for a second um the way that he met my family because you know some know and many are not aware that this actually this business is on my mother's side of the family which is probably not as conventional these days um and my father at the time before had been on the district uh, distribution side of things he was um importing and exporting wine and things of that nature he was building brands as a brokerage firm for um, all these different suppliers out in colorado and um then he had in town at the civil war uh museum that's right down actually right down the hill from where we're sitting right now he had a um a glass factory where he made all the different porcelain decanters that a lot of the distilleries used at the time for their specialty bottlings. That's actually how he met my grandfather and our families. He, start, he, he met them to do business with them. And um, as the story goes, my mother was simultaneously engaged to two different men at the time. And, you know, her words, she said that our father was the most arrogant son of a bitch she had ever met. She couldn't stand the man. And then, you know, moments later, they're like professing their love across a, a table of our entire family and married in four months. Um, but, um, you know, at that time when my father uh, took over the business, um, it was late 70s, early 80s when my grandfather and his brothers, they retired. At which point, again, bourbon was pretty much defunct. You couldn't give it away. And... Um, they sold the everything off to Barstown Fuel Alcohol, where it was going to be transformed into an ethanol plant. And they um, dismantled a lot of the equipment out there, and they were basically ready to start the sales for this new operation and went bankrupt before they could push a button. Mm. At which point, the property went up for auction in three different parcels, and our father bought two of the three. Uh, we don't own the uh, farmland that's adjacent to our property. We don't own that right now. And um, at the time, he had whatever stocks he had to work with from the barrels that they still had. But then a lot of what he did, being a very much a pioneer in, in this industry, he secured as many stocks as he could from as many suppliers as he could. And he really got into the art of um, blending commingling barrels. Little side note here. When Britt is talking about commingling, she's really talking about not blending necessarily, but what's called batching. It's, it's really different than like a, a blended whiskey. And what's different about it is today, that is a standard to help whiskeys be consistent in taste. So often some of your favorite whiskeys, whether that's Woodford Reserve or Buffalo Trace or Jim Beam or whatever, every bottle requires some level of batching or mingling from other barrels to keep the taste profile consistent. And her point here is her dad was doing that way before other people were doing it. And before it was, you know, kind of considered a standard to help keep flavor profiles consistent. And at the time, that was um, something that wasn't done and it wasn't something that was understood. Like many things, my dad is lifetimes light years ahead of his time. He really, really is. He still to this day will pull stuff out from the files that he worked on 40 years ago that people think is a new idea. He just didn't get around to implementing it because he didn't have time. Mm. But that's him. He's an innovator. He is not an implementer. Hmm. He is not. 
Um, he loves to start a project. He's not interested really in the finishing of it. And that's why to this day, if you want to drive my brother and I mad, start something and don't finish it. Like we will genuinely lose our shit. Like we really will. But, um, you know, over the years and at that time, um, what he was dealing with was aged premium, small batch, single barrel. And when I say aged, I'm talking 15, 17, 20, 23 years old Mm. stuff. And it was all very premium, small batch, single barrel. And in the United States, people didn't get it. They wanted blended whiskey. They wanted sweeter things. They wanted Crown Royal. They wanted um, they wanted vodka. They wanted all these different cocktails where they weren't really spirit forward. Again, you couldn't give this stuff away. So he so he went overseas, and exclusively, pretty much did business with Japan, where I can remember being little, and he would go to my high school and take. Japanese classes just so he could do business with the people. Um, Mm. You know, he was doing business in Australia, France, just, again, overseas. And when my brother and I got involved in the business, that's when we really started to grow the business domestically because we had more people, we had more resources. And I don't mean finances, I mean people. Mm -hmm. My dad didn't have time to go out and grow the business. He was too in it to even come up for air. He couldn't develop or grow or whatever. It was just enough to get the business that he had done. And um, so we kind of went a whole nother angle and started growing it domestically. And again, my brother and I had this conversation earlier today. And, you know, we actually developed somewhat of a poor reputation because people didn't really understand what we were doing. And this was days before you had really social media and the intraweb as we know it today, right? Where you can't walk from this room to that to take a piss before 90% of the world knows what you just did. Right. So what, what year about did you and your brother start to get involved? My brother got involved in 2004, right after he graduated from college. And I got involved in 2005, um, literally because a hurricane brought me here. I was living in New Orleans. I'm sorry, I was living in Louisiana at the time. And Hurricane Katrina came through, mm. and um, that basically, I would say, accelerated the timeline for coming here. I always knew I wanted to, to come here, that this would be a part of my life. I just didn't know the when. Mm. And so that kind of was, it was a good time to transition here. Sure. So for those people who don't know, who maybe aren't like um, bourbon savvy, and I don't even know if, if, there is a, if there is a quote unquote turning point, but when, from your perspective, did bourbon start taking a turn um, because now you go into stores and like it's it's you know you guys have one of my favorite rides it's impossible to find them up by us right and so it's like people run to the store on certain days of the week to buy certain bourbons like when did when did you guys see the bourbon kind of trend starting to shift well I will say um, that when my when my brother and I really first got involved and and this has not changed to this day one of the memorable experiences we had when we were down at the Willett Distillery getting ready to uh, shoot and start producing the Simply Bourbon book was that we got to interview both Britt and Drew. So let me share with you from, from that video uh, how they see their jobs and how they approach bourbon. Kentucky bourbon is, is extremely special. 
Um, not only is it a signature industry here, it's been made here for about 250 years. People understand worldwide the quality, the respect for bourbon that we have here in Kentucky. My name is Drew Colesveen, and I'm the master distiller at Willow Distillery. Bourbon is something very close to my heart. Our family has been making it for about five generations. It's in our blood. You know, one of the most important things that you have that's your own is your name and your reputation and what you do with it. Hey, I'm Britt. I'm from Bardstown, Kentucky, bourbon capital of the world, and America's most beautiful small town, y'all. We are one of the last few remaining independently family-owned and operated distilleries left. They started distilling on St. Patrick's Day in 1937. They did about 300 bushels of corn that day, which was the equivalent of 30 barrels. Um, to this day, we're doing on average about 21 barrels a day, so we're actually smaller in size today. We've committed to staying small. That allows us to keep our quality uh, and maintain a certain level of production that you tend to lose a lot of the nuance as things get bigger and bigger. We have one bottling line and one shift, and on a good day, we maybe have 15 to 20 people working on it. It's thoroughly handmade. and. Everyone takes great pride in what they do. We're able to control the direction and flavor of our, our whiskey in the way that we feel is necessary for our brands and for our, our customers. What we make here, our, the, the bourbon and rye, represent a lot of different things. Our, our family heritage is very important to me and, and keeping that tradition alive is, is very important to our family. We're producing traditional recipes that our family has been producing for five generations and new recipes that I developed. So in terms of a profile, uh, you're, you're still going to get a lot of the, the traditional flavors, but we really want to accentuate the flavoring grain, which is either the rye or the wheat that we use in our recipes. We really want you to taste uh, the essence of that grain. We're able to use local farms for our grain, and I really like being able to have part of the local community involved in our process. One of the things that I love too about us that's so unique is our pot still. It's a patented design that my father did, so there is no other still like it in this entire world. The Willet Potsdam Reserve is our signature bourbon that we, that we make here at Willet. We took the blueprints from that still and had a uh, glass company in Italy create the bottle for us. And it's very distinctive. It stands out from the crowd. We're very proud to put our family name on that unique product. One of the few things that's so unique to us that I just love is that a lot of our whiskey is non-chill filtered. It's cast strength, which means it is literally raw whiskey straight out of the barrel. What you see behind me is our Willett Family Estate uh, collection. It is the most inconsistent bourbon brand on the market. We're very proud of, of that. It was really eye-opening at the time. People weren't really allowing you to do that. They had a brand and they wanted a single barrel to fit that profile within some restraints. We didn't want that. We wanted people to come here and pick something unique. The most important thing to me is when people come here, you know, they feel at home because this is our home. To see the joy that it brings people, to hear the stories of when they first had a sip of Willet or a Willet product and what it, what it meant to them is, is really inspiring to me. I've never wanted to be everyone's cup of tea, but I only need to be one person's sip of whiskey. We don't have any marketing or advertising. We don't have any sales reps. We have always gone out in the market ourselves and we have done tastings and we have interacted and connected with the people, whether they are consumers, they are retailers, they are distributors, whatever the case may be. And we've always had a grassroots approach where our products are hand sales. 
we know that we don't pay the vacations of distributors. We don't have all of these quotas, and if you don't meet these quotas, then we're not doing business with you any longer. We don't have time for that. Like, we just don't. It's just us, and we're in it. And, you know, in, in those days, we would walk into a liquor store, a bar, fill in the blank. We don't need another bourbon on our shelf. We don't have time to meet with you. Or we would have uh, an, an appointment scheduled with them, and they would conveniently not have time for us where we would literally stand in the liquor store for two hours until they would have time to come basically say, I don't have room for another bourbon on my shelf. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. And that went on for, you know, that went on for quite a while. I would say where I really saw a major shift was between 2007 and probably 2009. And I don't even mean that just for bourbon as a genre, but I mean for us personally. That's when there was really a major shift. And then it's just kind of accelerated every single day to where it's like today you just can't even come up for air, mm. you know. Which is a good, I won't even use the word problem. It's its all we know and it's what we thrive in. But... Um, if you think about it, that's a very short time span for that to happen. And it, and it wasn't overnight. We really are so interconnected and just working with one another, collaboration all the time. It's, it's more a collaboration than it is competition. And I don't think anybody has any idea of the level of collaboration in this business between distilleries. I look at you and your brand is very hospitable. So what is hospitality mean to you like how does that play into the Willet brand and the experience I would say too along the same vein is approachable um, I, I would say that about our whiskey too I think that for us um, the main things with us is that it is our family it is a family business and you know a lot of people will say which is true our father has always maintained that family business is the hardest business to be in um, and, and fortunately, we have figured it out to where it works for us. And if it doesn't, we always find a way to figure it out. Like no matter what it is, we will always figure it out. But I would say the big thing for us is that is our home. That is our passion. Um, people are in this business for different reasons. You'll get the people that we have capital. We want to build a brand and we want to build a brand because we want to sell a brand. And that is not while we are in this business. We could have sold our brand and our distillery 10 times over. We really could have. And we are not for sale. That's just not while we're in this business. And because it is our name, we are attached to it in a way that really you almost can't even verbalize. But being that it is our home and it is our passion, hospitality is a part of it. And we welcome you to our home and we want everyone to have a very intimate, exclusive experience. We want to, you to have a memorable experience. Um, you know, it's like, as I, you've known from day one, like to me, the big thing for me is that I love for our distillery to be the first or last place a person comes because I don't think that you're going to go anywhere else like it. We are not corporate. Like it's, it's, it's us. And, you know, we don't, we don't really just say things, we do them. For example, 
we want you to come sit on the porch and have a cocktail with us and unplug and have an adult time out because that is important. People are not doing that. People are way too plugged in. And it's about connections for us. Like that's what it's all about. That's what everything is all about. It's about making connections, social interaction. And to me, that is, that's, that's why we're here. And I feel like whiskey is an excellent bridge for that. Um, number one, yes, it definitely helps us to loosen up and relax a little bit, right? And get comfortable where there may be settings where you're not necessarily comfortable. It'll take that edge off. But it's something that there, it's a common ground. And again, I go back to you're engaging all of your senses, right? And you may have nothing in common or you may have everything in common, but it's something that definitely can help bridge and forge a connection. Just that one small little denominator. And there's people that literally have formed societies, clubs, are people's, uh, you know, are godchildren to, to, to people now because they, ha- they have that similar interest of, hey, everybody, bring your favorite whiskey, come over, we're, we're tasting through, we're doing this. Like the smallest things like that, where people are making time to do that. And it does make a difference. It really does. And, for us, that's what it's all about. When we say make yourselves at home, we mean genuinely make yourself at home, which means also wait on yourself. Like, you know, like here's the stuff, wait on yourself, make yourself comfortable. That's just what it's all about, really, yeah. you know? You have the coolest title that I think I've ever heard. Yeah. The chief whiskey officer. Let's, let's I don't just... know. Brittany's title's vision manager. I think that's pretty that's cool, pretty too. Good. But my, my well, I feel sorry for her because if she if you're trying to manage my visions, like you will never keep up, and I, I do apologize in advance. But but we talk, we, you and I talked about this before. Yes. Like we, neither of us have time for labels, but no. just in the context of kind yes. of how unfortunately how our world works. So to, to put the, yourself in a of, box for the comfort of others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. See this. <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah, no, it's true. But it's so I because I look at you as almost like the chief evangelist of of Willet. Like for me. You know, and again, I may have a different experience than other people, but um, you kind of embody the energy behind the brand. No, I think that's a very fair statement. I really do. Yeah. One of the ways we like to work at Rule 29 is to create a collaborative project. And Simply Bourbon uh, was an idea to create a bourbon book, one that was approachable and that people could understand whether you're uh, new to the bourbon world or uh, an age veteran. And so... We met Britt and the Willett Distillery team uh, through trying to make some sort of connections into the whiskey world down in Kentucky. Some dear friends who I want to give a shout out, the Bates, who live in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, are very well connected in that industry and introduced us to um, Willett. And they were so gracious and incredible once they saw the concept and some of the designs that we provided. And so really, the Simply Bourbon book is a, a collective of enthusiasts that really wanted to create something special. And Willett, uh, you know, initially we thought, oh, we'll go down there, get some pictures, and that'd be great. But they were such great contributors as far as, like, taking us through their entire process, having us spend time with their um, key, you know, distillers and team that not only market but also make the bourbon from the team that actually puts the grain into uh, the process to filling the barrels, to rolling the barrels out, everything. Uh, we're really, really grateful for that. And that's just a sample of, of Britt and her team. They want people to understand and enjoy and experience whiskey. And so um, get your hands on a Simply Bourbon book. You can go to simplybourbon.com. 
and see not only the beautiful property of, of Willett Distillery, but also get to learn a little bit about bourbon. All right, back to the show. You know, I think that um, we, we had a chance to do a book together. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for you and your whole family and team to give us such access. That was amazing. So, so jumping into that and into the fun, okay. I realized that you thought you were going to jump right into work, but then we had other plans in mind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so for our listeners, the first time I got to meet you to kind of set the table... Um, Brittany, who is um, one of your teammates here, was mm-hmm. making sure that I was very clear on the fact that you had a very regimented schedule. You had one hour to give us, and that was it. And we had, uh, had all of our stuff clean, so your dad wasn't upset about our stuff all over. So we were super stressed. That was my job. My job was to be the producer and be stressed out about everything. Yeah. So then we had one hour to film you, and you come rolling in. Couple minutes late, but hey, you know, I'm. I, I think tend, I was there at nine oh four instead of nine. I tend to be a little yeah. time challenged. Yeah. And um, actually, you were there right at uh, what most people would consider lunchtime, and you said, "We're gonna go have lunch, boys. We're not doing this interview right now." Yeah. To which I crap my pants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then we had probably one of the best lunches of my life. Yes, that was the four old fashioned lunch. You almost jumped behind the bar to make the old fashions yourself. I did. So let's talk about that. So what is the old-fashioned that you officially ordered for us? Like, what was the key ingredient there? The Willet Rye. Yeah. Willet Family Estate Rye. Cast strength, non-chill filtered, raw whiskey straight out of the barrel the way that we like it. We're what just is that? completely raw and unfiltered. That's what we are. Is it a four-year? Well, what's currently on the market right now is a four-year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, that's the only way to have an old-fashioned. Yes, in my in my opinion, and that's the only opinion that matters right now. Yes, that is that is the way. Now, a typical old fashioned conventionally will call for bourbon, um, and some people have even used cognac or brandy in that. But how dare they? Well, you know, I just think Willet Family Estate Rye is the way to go. That to me, when I order an old fashioned, that's what I'm ordering. Well, and I also think that when we um, we talk about this a lot, when we talk about this story in particular, those were also incredibly huge old fashions so i'm gonna i'm going to reframe that okay um they are what i believe in which is spirit forward okay so to me when i order a cocktail for example the old-fashioned i realize the accoutrements are the bitters the zest of the citrus oil whether you use lemon or orange peel um you know some people will garnish with a luxardo cherry for example but they're spirit forward. So if I take a sip of an old fashioned, I don't want to be drinking bitters. They're accoutrements, but they are not the focus of the cocktail. The focus of the cocktail is the spirit, spirit forward. And so I will just kind of reframe what you said, not huge, but they were spirit forward. So they were almost like doubles. Sure. <laughs> so an old fashioned is a few drops of bitters ice and whiskey and a little citrus oil like yeah. just a little effervescence yeah. so they are all spirit yes yeah. yeah but no that was a that was a awesome day because we had several yes and then um, we didn't get much work done the rest of the day that's wrong that you're wrong in that oh share with me we did work i would say on a level that that few people that you work with will ever get to would you not agree? Oh, no, that's fair. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. That's a better reframing. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. To me, it's not work. It's fun. It's my passion. And it's all about relationships and connections. And that's what everything is all about. Hmm. And yeah, I could have walked in and we still would have had a great connection. I assure you, because I have an inappropriate connection with every single person that I do business with. But um, I should say appropriately inappropriate. Yeah. But... Yeah, it would have been different if I would have given you the one hour and you would have been about your way. We would, we would still have the same outcome with the book. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. I think what happened was that connection made it very fun, very personable. And, and very... Well, it influenced and impacted the project. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's not that they... I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Not that I don't, not that I wouldn't have given the project so much time, but I think when you have a personal connection, you just, I think you just take it much more seriously. It kind of like, you know, kind it of just to distill it down when you can put a face to the name. Yeah. It changes things, right? When you know someone just over email, but then you have that human interaction connection with them, it does change everything from that point forward. It's that simple, just putting a face to the name. Yeah, and whether this is true or not, too, I also felt like I could text you and be like, hey, what do you think about this? And you can. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why my cell phone is in my signature line of everything and why I say, please don't send me an email, call me. Because I just, to me, that's the more effective way to communicate. And too often people are using email like a telephone conversation. Email is the follow-up to the telephone conversation. That's, mm. that's what email is. To reiterate our telephone conversation, these are the detailed important points that we need to refer back to. But to me... Let's have the telephone conversation first. Like, let's have that interaction first. I like it. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. So, uh, on a normal kind of Brit going out, you and I are talking, we just meet. Um, if it's not the old-fashioned, how am I going to experience with it? Like, what, what, are, what are you going to order me? Well... I'm probably going to pour any one of our whiskeys simply neat in a glass hmm. is what I'm going to do. Um, and again, my favorite thing that we do is just the cast strength, raw, non-chill filtered, straight out of the barrel stuff where it is entirely up to you how you're going to enjoy that. You want to add a few drops of water. You want to add ice. You want to add Coke. I don't really care how you enjoy your whiskey as long as it's our whiskey. I really, mm. I really don't. It's how you enjoy it. That's but what's important. I want to say I do like the Brit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a fun cocktail. I'm going to have that in our show notes and also have the video of you making it. Oh, yeah. 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 That's good stuff. That was the first day that we did work. Right. Yes. Yeah. The day later. The yeah. Day. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We started by making old fashions. We did. Yeah. And then we had the Brit and that was, yeah, that was brilliant. So, uh, the bourbon industry to me feels, feels fun. Obviously it's a business. Um, how, how is it for you? You know, what does it feel like when you're kind of on the inside of it? Does it, does it feel like work? Does it feel fun? Does it feel like a community? It's all all of those things. Yeah. It really is all of those things. Like I'm sure much like your job is to you. There is no segregation. Um, especially when you have a family business, there's just no segregation. You don't leave work and you're like, oh, I'm done for the day. I'm going to go home and 
and do this now. It's like, no, there's, there are no boundaries. It's just all in all the time. Like, and it really is that way. Um, which has its positives and negatives, but it is also fun and it is not like work. Is there work to be done? Is there work that we don't like to do? Well, yeah, nobody likes to do paperwork, right? There's a lot of that stuff. There's, there's a lot of, um, again, managing expectations, um, supervising people that should be able to supervise themselves. All of that stuff that's a part of any business, you know, but you got to get it done. But there's plenty of room for fun, always, every day. Like this right here, we're technically working, but I think you and I can both agree that this is fun and this is not at all work. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having us in your lovely home. Thank you. This place is gorgeous. Thank you. What's the history behind this house? There's got to be... So this house was built in 1818. My old house that's literally across the alley was built in 1814. Same architect. Okay. We own all of the five homes in this town that were built by this one particular architect. We all own. It's the same one who did the work on St. Joseph Cathedral. And then one of our relatives, Edward Willett, was actually the wood joiner for this architect. Mm. These are the days when you used horsehair as insulation. Like, that's what's in these walls. Really? Mm-hmm. Thank you to my incredibly authentic and gracious friend, Britt, and for sharing your family story and opening up your distillery. We truly felt like one of yours. For more on Willett Distillery, go to KentuckyBourbonWhiskey.com. To buy a copy of our Simply Bourbon book or to win a limited release version, go to SimplyBourbon.com. Or leave us a review on iTunes and we will enter you into our monthly drawing. I'd also like to thank Sleeping At Last for being the soundtrack to our show. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. And to design of audio engineer Steve Wick, who loved this episode so he could use his favorite drink instructions. America, you're just devoted to every flavor I've got. But if you want to get loaded... Why don't you just order a shot? Bars open! I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Tell others about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.